0: the beastified podcast we're your hosts i'm chris hopper and i'm dan harrison this is a show dedicated to inspiring you to treat your body and mind the way it should be treated each week we delve into all things health with some of the brightest and most forward thinking out of the box minds in health consciousness mindset and spirituality deep and often intense these conversations are released
1: every wednesday and are designed to inspire educate motivate and encourage you to discover, uncover, and unlock and unleash your potential.
0: In this episode of the Beastified Podcast, Ian Sharman joins us for an inspiring conversation on becoming Ultra and mastering incredible feats of endurance. We delve into the mind of one of the best Ultra Runners on the planet, Ian Sharman has conquered races all over the world. His mind has been built on endurance and mastering himself. From running in the Himalayas, Andes, Rockies and European Alps, to braving the sum of the most fierce weather on the planet. And after 200 ultras, Ian has seen it all.
1: Ultra running is a unique sport which requires you to be mentally and physically at the top of your game. Prepare to be inspired to incorporate some of these practices into your own life. So, Ian, welcome to the Beast of Five podcast, my friend. It's a pleasure
2: to have you here, dear. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Ian, I think the best way to start this will be asking you how you found ultra running and why did you decide it was for you?
2: Um, Kind of a weird way, actually, because uh, it's it's something that's a lot bigger now than it was when I first got into it. I, I started in uh, 2005, and um, it was purely because I saw a TV show. I saw a documentary about the Marathon de Sable, the, uh, the race across the... Sahara Desert over several days and I was just in the mindset that uh, I wanted to kind of get back into shape. I'd been living in London for a few years and uh, hadn't had a chance to, uh, to to do as much exercise as I was used to. So I, I saw that and right at the point where I was thinking I need to do something to get fit, I thought what an awesome adventure. I wasn't thinking running is cool or ultra running yeah. sounds like fun. I just thought the desert sounded like an epic place to go to.
1: Oh, that's cool. That. Ian, what's one thing that you found out about yourself
2: after doing your first Ulra? Um, well, the first one I did was in the build-up to the Marathon des Sables because it took about 18 months to get into it. So I did the uh, <laughs> the old London to Brighton race, which is about 54 miles. They have a, a well, version now that's on trails, but I, I actually did the last year of the old classic road race. Um, and it was a, a fantastic event, but I just had no idea what would happen. I mean, I'd, I did about one marathon or two marathons in the build-up just to get a sense of things. And this was all brand new to me so uh i think that the main thing i learned was the fact that you can go a lot longer than you expect and that that if things start going a little bit wrong that doesn't mean your day's over while i think in most sports that was the mentality that you know as soon as everything's broken down and you're you're feeling really crappy that that basically you're not going to keep performing that day
1: Mm -hmm.
2: but for ultra running it's that you can come through a lot of low patches and still keep doing really well within the race were you expecting
0: to find that out about yourself, or were you expecting to find something different?
2: I didn't really know what to expect, and that was part of the fun, I think that that again is what got me into it in the first place, it was this whole adventure of what might happen. I, I didn't really know how things would go, so uh, I didn't know if I'd find it super hard, or if I'd you know be walking it in, or if I'd be broken for six months afterwards. It was all completely new territory, and, and that was kind of the most exciting thing, that I didn't know what to expect during or after. Uh,
0: when I first undertook running, I found this uh, sense of release and freedom. It co- completely got me away from all my problems. And did you find something similar after running ultra?
2: I would say just starting to run in in general that that has that kind of effect, where you can have a busy day at work and lots of stressful things going on, then you get out and start running and go, okay, well I can put it all in perspective now, and this is important or that thing that stressed me out really doesn't matter. And so I, I definitely found that. Just, any run can be a good way to clear your head and I think that's one of the big benefits that all runners find from it but in an ultra itself um because there's additional stresses in there you're worrying about how you're going to feel how the race is going to go maybe the how will your performance be so uh, there's definitely elements in, in ultras where you can just be completely uh, enjoying yourself and relaxed and usually in the earlier stages before you get too tired but uh, I'd say that's more where there's some beautiful scenery as well, and you can just get lost in the fact that you're somewhere spectacular rather than uh, in your normal life that might be sitting in a cubicle.
0: Wow. Yeah, I agree. It is something more precious and unique. Uh, When did you feel you could complete an ultra marathon before you did one? When did you feel it was time for the upgrade?
2: Um, Well, because I first got into it purely thinking about ultras, so the the marathon is 150-odd miles in seven days, so... Um, I I wasn't really thinking, you know, I'm now going to upgrade from doing a half marathon to a marathon or anything like that. I I started off by entering an ultra, so um, I kind of did it in reverse to a lot of the people I know now where they were maybe really good track stars at uh, a university and particularly a lot of the people I I know in in the U.S. who were super fast, you know, 5,000-meter runners, steeplechase runners, things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I started off with the idea of just doing these really long races because I saw the TV show and there was a lot of walking in there and I thought... I can walk for seven days, you know, so that's the worst case scenario that I can probably just get through by, by walking. And then as I got closer to it, I, you know, the competitive juices started flowing and I, I was aiming to be running more of it, but I didn't even finish that first uh, MDS. I, uh, I entered oh, another one afterwards, but I, uh, I ended up, with the problem with hyponatremia, which I've never even heard of. I mean, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea that you could drink too much water, especially in the desert. I thought the more you drink, the better that's got to be. There can be no doubt there, um, and there is doubt. <laughs> it's the fact that if you, if you just basically keep drinking and drinking and drinking in the desert or anywhere, then you're probably going to get hyponatremia and thin the blood down. And at the start of day two, I, uh, I fainted the first time I stood up. And I fainted wow. again on the start line, and then I had diarrhea and vomiting and all these things going horribly wrong. But I managed to get through day two, which was one of the most miserable days of my life, especially because I had a load of sandstorms and, and really hot, humid weather for the day. It's a pretty nasty day. I've just not had any sleep, and I've not been able to take any food and drink in, or food at least, for the previous day. Um, so uh, it, was, it was only the second time I went back there that I managed to finish. But it that was the thing that kind of was the best and the worst thing about all sport, The has been introduced to it is that there's so much more to it than just being fit. That uh, you know you, you can be a good 5 runner just purely by being fit, but you can't be a good ultra runner just by being super fit and fast and doing lots of training. There's a million other things that come in there. I mean, you could be uh, an Olympic marathoner and you could still drink too much in the desert and have exactly the same problem that I had.
1: Well, I think sometimes the thought of running an ultra marathon can be daunting for some people. I think it's like really long and intimidating distance. And I think if you're someone like me, who has never done like an ultra run, you've probably got no idea what to expect. Like ultra runners seem like superheroes in a way. I, I, I
2: definitely, definitely felt like that, yeah, going into uh-huh. yeah. It do. Was, How do these people do all of this? Um, but I was intrigued to find out, and ultimately, you, you realise that pretty much anyone can do it. Uh, it takes obviously a lot of commitment. You've got to train for it. You've got to be able to just suck it up on the day. Uh, and I think that's one of the things I I I've learned fairly early on that I have friends who are. Um, in theory, they shouldn't be able to complete stuff. You know, they're, they're not as fit, but then they're just stubborn as hell, and because of that, they can get through pretty much anything. And then other guys who are really fit, but they're not willing to suffer, and so on paper they should be able to do a great race, but then they never really do.
1: Mm-hmm. I definitely think I like what you said. I definitely think that many people have it in in them just to run an ultra. So, Ian what do you think about while running running an ultra marathon?
2: Um, lots of different things. Certainly, part of it is. Uh, how I'm feeling. I mean, you've got to be very present in the moment. So I'm thinking, what is starting to go wrong? How, am I having any issues with eating? Am I getting low energy? Do I need to keep my breathing a little bit easier? Um, am I getting too hot? So a lot of it is kind of self-monitoring and just trying to mm-hmm. really get a, good, get a good sense of how I'm feeling right now, and if there's something I need to adjust. Because if you're going to be out there all day long, there's going to be things that go wrong, and the sooner that you can work out what they are and correct them, the Better it's likely to go. I mean t- too many people I think are focused on um, too much on getting to the next aid station or the speed they're going at, and therefore they mm-hmm. lose track of the things starting to go wrong and they just get to an aid station and suddenly they realize they've gone well beyond where they should have been. Maybe they've massively overheated or they haven't eaten for three hours or something like that. Um, but the other thing as well is just you know sometimes you, your mind can just wander. sometimes you're having very nice easy sections and this is what I mentioned before about if it's beautiful scenery. You can take it in a little bit more. You can enjoy yourself and just go, okay, this is an epic place to be running. This is not where I normally am on an average day. So uh, it's important, I think, to be able to enjoy that element of it as well. But there's a a whole load of different things that go through your mind. I mean, People assume that you get bored doing an ultra because it's such a long amount of time, but boredom is never really an issue. I think it was when I first started. The idea of doing 20 minutes of running was mind-numbing. You know, I, I couldn't get my head around that, and I, I tried doing it, and then I'd be looking at the, uh, my watch the whole time, going, oh, there's only another 30 seconds. How, how long can I stay out here? And then I get to 30 minutes, and I'm bored as hell. But um, then with, uh, with the longer stuff, it suddenly, it did just, at some point, it kind of switch flicks, and uh, it's possible to keep doing it. So I, uh, I now can get three hours into a run and just go, oh, it's not three hours already. Didn't feel like any wow. time at all. I think sometimes like when I hit a trailer or just go
1: on like a road run, it's the same when I do anything really, whether it be like training or crossfit or even a movement session. Yeah. I feel it's sort of like the best time of the day for us like to connect from like all the devices that rule over the world to be honest. Yeah. And I just sort of like get in touch with more of my body and like I listen to my thoughts and sometimes like when I go on a run alone, it's like my alone time and it's like the time of the day where I'm like it's my most productive thinking really. And my mind doesn't have to like be focused on any one thing, it just has to be focused on something. And like often I I find that my problem-solving skills are like enhanced by running, and I've also found that the flood of oxygen in my brain as well—it's like improves. I don't know if there's any research
2: being done on that, but which would be cool. But it's just what I feel. And I completely agree. I mean, it, in a race, I wouldn't say I do a whole lot of problem-solving except related to the race. <laughs> but uh, uh, in my normal runs, most of the um, the ideas I have or working out how to do things in life or uh, I've got a couple of different businesses with coaching and the US Skyrunner series. So I'm often thinking about how am I going to change things there? What can I improve and what new business ideas do I have? M- almost all of those I come up with on just a training run.
0: Wow.
2: So Ian, how do you mentally prepare for an ultra run? How do you get in the zone, sorts here? It partly depends on the type of run, how competitive it is. So um, if it's a more local, low-key race, then... I just don't even have to think about it a whole lot. I'll just turn up and do my thing, and, and there's no pressure. If it's a really big event, like a Western States or a Leadville, um, really, I know it's a big focus for me. I'll have spent months training for it, and I know there's going to be competition there of, of some of the best runners in the world. So when it's like that, I still have to be able to just not get too stressed out about it. It's easy to, to be thinking, oh, have I done enough? And uh, such and such is in great form. How are they going to do? But all you can control is your own... Performance. So if someone else does something mind-blowing, then just you know, shake their hand at the end. I actually, one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard was from um, Bruce Fordyce, the, uh, the nine-time winner of the Comrades Ultra in South Africa. And uh, even though it's about a 30-year-old record, he still holds the world record for 50 miles. So super fast runner, super talented, and he's achieved so much in the sport. And, uh, and his advice was that in any race, and so every time he was doing Comrades, he usually wasn't winning until near the end. And he he would say that he would do his own thing. He'd be optimizing his race. He wouldn't really react to what other people are doing. And if they did something astounding, like if they go off faster than him and they manage to hold it, then at the end he'll just shake their hand and go, well done, that was awesome. You know, I, I gave it my best race. You were the better man on the day. And I think that is one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard in a race. Whether you're trying to win it or whether you're trying to finish mid-pack or avoid the cutoffs, it's stick to your own race because that's the only thing you have control over. And if someone else goes off way too quick or a friend of yours who you normally beat is ahead of you, don't react to that in the early stages. Instead, try to make things sustainable for yourself and that way you're able to to then optimize your performance, especially near the end of it and that's always the most important part of an ultra. That's where people slow down dramatically. So um, I, I found that was so in, insanely useful and that, that's what I always remind myself before any big ultra is that I'm just out there to do my thing. Once it gets to the last 30% of the race. I can really focus on the other people around me and trying to race them and stay ahead of them or trying to catch them. But until that point, it's just trying to relax, enjoy it, smile, look after myself. And, and that takes a lot of the pressure off as well because the thought of having to race every step of a 100 miler and to be battling it out with people, even just thinking about it in advance, never mind doing it, is mentally draining. So I try and avoid doing that and just let people do their own thing. If they zoom off at the beginning, they, you know, if they keep it, keep it up, well done. If they don't, which is generally going to be the case, I will aim to just be catching them near the end when it gets more into that kind of mindset of racing the other people.
1: I think that's a really good way to look at it. I think, I think sometimes when people relax as well, they perform best as well.
2: Typically, really yeah, I mean, I say that so many times I've seen people get PBs where they didn't think they were a day, uh, and that's because maybe they had a bit of illness in the few weeks before, or they came off an injury, or just any reason why they didn't put pressure on themselves. And I've done that with marathons, um, several of my recent marathon, but several of my marathon PBs have been when I, um, I just didn't think it was possible to get a PB. And so it took, took that off the table and instead I just did the best race I could in the day and then halfway through I realized that it was possible to get it. But by avoiding thinking about it too much, it stops you going off too fast or screwing things up in the first few miles. Um, I get this as well with a lot of people I coach, that um, you know, they'll go into a race and they'll be thinking, okay, this is just for fun, this isn't the big one, and then they nail it because they haven't put any pressure on it. And then sometimes the uh, big one doesn't go so well because there's all that pressure that you're putting on yourself.
1: Ian, in your preparation to running, like running ultra, what does a week of training look like? How is your, like, your programming laid out in a sense of, are you just getting out there running
2: or like, are you incorporating any other methodology? Um, In terms of my general training, it varies hugely depending on what race I'm training for, because I do stuff varying from big mountainous stuff to roads and and shorter races. So I've just had a big season of of doing mountain ultras through the summer. Now I'm switching to road racing and marathons for a while in the build-up to comrades next year. So it obviously changes quite a lot depending on what the focus is. Um, But typically, I I would say my average is going to be something like 70, 80 miles a week, um, with a long run in there, sometimes back to back long runs, depending on what stage it is in the training. Um, and I try and keep in a couple of speed sessions, even when I'm training for the long stuff, because it really helps just to sharpen your ability to, to be a strong runner. And, and you always need speed in any race, no matter how long it is, you know, or like for like, if you're a quicker runner, then you're going to do better uh, when you're cruising in those, those longer, easy sections of a long race. Um, I do a little bit of cross-training, but it's very, very small amount of biking. But the main thing that I do for cross-training is to hike. So it's a very similar thing because the rule of specificity means that if you want to get better at running, the thing that's going to make the biggest difference is running itself. So I, yeah. by running on trails, you're already doing a kind of form of cross-training because it's a much more um, full-body exercise than just running on the road. And then combining that with doing some power hiking and especially using a weight vest then I'm getting more of a core workout, and I'm doing it all in a specific way for running, but because it's hiking, it doesn't have the impact forces. So you can use it partly as recovery, partly as strength training, and and it's a good way to to kind of get a cross-training effect in there, but in a way that's very specific. Because if I just did a load of cycling or a load of swimming or uh, Uh even gym work, it's not going to be quite as useful as the running itself. So uh, you know, if you want to be a better runner, you've ultimately got to run lots, Uh, and so the, the hiking fits in well with that. Plus, most ultras, especially hilly ones, involve quite an, a large amount of hiking anyway. So it allows me to work on an element of the running that uh, is a little bit different. It uses the muscles differently, but it's still very specific to the types of races that I'm doing. So I, I do less hiking, though, if I'm training for, say, a road marathon than if I'm training for a mountain race.
0: Yeah, I suppose all them um, mixed together will definitely increase uh, your chances of improving amongst other people as well when you're running. It just gives you that little
2: slight exactly. edge. Exactly, and one thing... It does, especially if you know that you're hiking strong. But uh, one thing to bear in mind is that that's going to be different depending on what an individual's background is. So because I come from a background of playing um, football and, and tennis and loads of other sports as I grew up, that's a really good foundation for having um, muscles and joints that are used to, to doing exercise and they're used to doing changes of direction. And it tends to mean that you're a little bit more balanced in terms of the, the biomechanics So because of that, I can get away with maybe not having to do, say, corrective exercises for muscle imbalances that I might have had if I'd have not done quite as much exercise growing up. So it's always going to be a very individual thing, and I'm not suggesting what I do is the perfect thing for everyone, but it fits in with where my strengths and weaknesses are and what I need to be able to do to race well. Yeah, that's great. Ian, does your nutrition play a key role for you? Definitely, yeah. I mean, in, in 100 miles in particular... Uh, I've heard it described as not just a running competition, but an eating competition, um, (laughs) which I think is fair. I mean, the amount you eat during a 100-mile is obscene, uh, and you're force-feeding yourself for a lot of the day because it's difficult to eat, and you don't really want the food, but you need it. You just need to keep the calories coming in, so um, I'm sponsored by Clif Bar, so I mainly use their stuff because I like it, and that's why I I work with them, but um, in terms of my normal diet, I just try to be a much higher level, just generally healthy, have lots of fresh produce um try to avoid too much processed stuff but by no means do i have a perfect diet you know i treat myself i have a beer every now and then but then on race day it's very much about making sure that i'm eating a lot but in small amounts regularly so rather than say getting to an aid station and pigging out and then having nothing else for another hour it's more about drip feeding the food in so things like gels um there's a thing that cliff bar has called organic energy food which is like a a space food type of thing that comes out like almost like a toothpaste so again it's very easy small amounts of it regularly and uh, and I'm just drip feeding that so I might be eating every couple of minutes but it's only just the tiniest mouthful but it's much easier for the stomach to deal with that because then you've got uh, a very small amount in there at any one point that it can deal with rather than you fill it up with loads of stuff and then that's all sloshing about as you start running as you leave an aid station
1: oh that was a great insight into your diet thank you Ian, what's your uh, greatest experience of your whole career for,
2: like, so far as ultra running? That's difficult because I, I try to enjoy as much of it as possible, obviously. Um, I think maybe um, the, the fastest time that I did at the Comrades Ultra is, is maybe my best memory. Um, and I was only 23rd, but, uh, and so you know, no one else really notices or cares about that. But for me, it was just being able to put everything in place on the day to fully take advantage of my fitness for how fit I was and getting every last ounce of it and knowing that I gave it absolutely as much as I could. And that's just such a, such a satisfying feeling. And it's such a big ultra. There's you know, fifteen to 20,000 people running it. It's just the biggest ultra in the world. And you've got a huge amount of, of uh, support along the course as well. And it, that, that race just means a lot to me. And so I think that, that's probably the most uh, satisfying run that I've ever had. But I try to you know get enjoyment out of and, and pick races that I'm going to have some fun with and not just do it because it's competitive. But uh, something like Western States, for example, is always a huge amount of fun for me. Um, I I used to live quite close to it in California, uh, and I've done it six times now, and I'm going to keep doing it at least another, well, see how many times I can get into it, but quite a few more times, hopefully. But I just love the atmosphere and the build-up around that, and then afterwards, and then all my friends are doing it. That is such a satisfying feeling as well, especially if you have a good race. But, um, yeah, it's difficult to pick one thing in general because I have a you know when i was not a runner so in my early 20s mm-hmm. i felt like i didn't have as many highlights now i feel like each season i get loads of different highlights i get years worth of memories every single year and that's one of the things i treasure most about it well i think it's just all about enjoying it really that's what it's all about isn't well, it? you can't really do ultras unless you get at least some enjoyment out of it because mm-hmm. it's too hard <laughs> it's you know if you mm-hmm. don't enjoy it you're not going to suffer And you're not going to, at the point where it gets difficult, you'll just go, "Mm, I don't like this anymore, I'll stop. And you'll never really finish a hard race. So there's got to be some element of enjoying, you know, being in the mountains, seeing the views, um, running with friends, just being fit and healthy and outdoors. Uh, And then the competitive element's a lot of fun as well, although much of that fun is in hindsight, I have to admit, because at the time it can just be very stressful.
0: (laughs) So Ian, you touched on um, sandstorms as well. Before, um, is that the worst weather you've
2: you've had to run in, or has there been much more worse than um, that? It's certainly one of the worst things. Although there wasn't much running because you could only see about ten feet ahead of you, and uh-huh. uh, and so just trying to find the markers was difficult. And then you've got this massive headwind, and you can you can't see anything in the sands, just getting everywhere. Um, but I'd say actually probably the hardest conditions I've run in were in the Amazon jungle, um, well. where it was about uh, 40 degrees centigrade. 100% humidity, lots of sun. There wasn't even much um, cover for parts of it. And it just it just wears you down so much. You overheat and there's no way to cool down because even putting water on you doesn't help because it doesn't evaporate because of the humidity. Uh, and they didn't have any ice because it was the middle of the jungle and they couldn't get any ice there for the race. So um, oh. that was some of the worst that I felt in, in a race. And, and it's just really, really difficult conditions to deal with. Plus, you couldn't afford to slow down or stop because as soon as you do a million little bugs sit on you and start biting you to death, so you've got the incentive you've got to keep moving, um, but it's just feeling really horrible through parts of that.
0: So how did this weather make you adapt to the change in the environment? How did, it, how did
2: it fully impact you? Well, normally I'd try and do heat training this one because I wasn't really focused on that race. It was in the build-up to doing uh, Western States and, and the whole Grand Slam of ultra running that summer. So. I didn't actually do any heat training for it, so it was a lot harder to deal with than normal. But ultimately, it just means you slow down. You, you can't do anything mm. else. You, you have to go slower. Um, you're going to feel crappier when it happens. And uh, all, all that I could do really was just try to, to get in the shade whenever I could, um, try to avoid blowing myself up too much, and then afterwards I just sat in the river with just literally you know, my nose and my eyes above the water for about 10 minutes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I believe that... Um that the weather will hold you more of a challenge that when completed it will give you a sense of completion and pride with the thought of yeah i overcame that
2: definitely and that's why people choose really tough races like bad water going through death valley the hottest place in the world or uh, western states with the extreme heat or the uh, the bad mountain weather you get at a hard rock hundred or a utmb that adds to the challenge i mean it, it, when i went to the marathon de Sable, for example where the big challenge is the heat of the sahara desert um, people want it to be hot because the whole point is they've gone there to challenge themselves in a race that is famous for heat. So whenever, and it's very rare, but whenever they have a year that isn't as hot, it's kind of like the people have been cheated out of it because that was what they're there for. And, and you know, if if you do it in an easy year, it doesn't mean as much. You want to do it in a hardcore year and be, and be able to walk away from it going, yeah, I did the full event. That was what it's all about. Well. Wow. So, Ian, I want to delve into another important aspect, which is um, dealing with sleep deprivation. Um, How do you uh, deal with this? Um, It's not been too much of an issue, because usually there's enough adrenaline flowing around that that keeps me awake. And I've only had one race where I went all the way through the night. Um, So most 100 miles I've done have been uh, in the kind of 16-hour range, and that's kind of dawn till dusk. So it's a bit easier to deal with. But um, when I did the 24-hour race, uh, I've done one one of those, so I was guaranteed to be out there for 24 hours. I still wouldn't say there was a whole lot of sleep deprivation. It was just fatigue. Um, and you're going to get that for any ultra anyway. So part of it is if you just keep the momentum going, then that keeps the, uh, the blood flowing. And one of the issues you actually have after one of these races is that it's very difficult to sleep because you spend so many hours focusing on not slowing down, not giving up, not basically crawling up, uh, turning into a you know, fetal position on, on the trail and just... Um, mm-hmm. Resting. So you, you spend hours and hours forcing yourself to keep moving, to keep pushing, and then it takes a long time for that to wind down. And I think of it kind of like a, a car engine. It takes a while for it to cool down afterwards after you've made it work hard for a few hours. So the same with the, the human body, that it can be very difficult to sleep afterwards. So I've never had a problem with sleep deprivation. I have a biggest problem with sleeping after I finish the race because the body's just too wired and and uh, and takes a long time to, to get back to normal. I think, I think sleep is like such a key key important topic and
1: I think sometimes people neglect it and sometimes people just think like training and nutrition but I think that dealing with sleep is just as important as any other aspect in my opinion definitely.
2: Yeah, other than training itself, the, the biggest performance enhancer you can have is to sleep well. Get more hours of sleep, get quality sleep, that will make a huge difference to your fitness and and people sometimes undervalue that.
1: Uh, definitely. Ian, I think sometimes the big competitions and even in life, when it comes down to certain things, in my opinion, I feel it's like the certain decisions, their big decisions, have to separate the best from the rest, and it's like mental blocks and sort of freezing. Have you ever like had to overcome any mental blocks, or maybe what was like the biggest one you've ever had to overcome while running?
2: Yeah, and I agree. I mean, I think that in ultras is the biggest factor. <clears throat> so. The- best runners and not the ones who are necessarily the fittest, although there's going to be a correlation there. It's the ones who are the smartest runners and who can really deal with the mental aspects and and be able to sort themselves out through the race. How can they keep pushing when it's really, really difficult? And so um, one thing I'd heard from Rob Krar is that he always, is, he kind of embraces it when it gets to that dark place within a race. Um, I'm not quite so good at embracing it. I'm not looking forward to the hard part or, or the suffering, but he, he basically just takes it on. It's like, that's what drives him. And I think Timmy Olsen said this as well in the past. So, you know, that's two of the, the, the top ultra runners of recent years who are able to, when it gets tough, literally, you know, they get even tougher. Uh, and that's, that's what makes them a strong runner. So I find that the, the hardest thing I've gone through was probably, um, during the grand slam. So that was 400 milers in a 10 week period, uh, in the U S it was Western States, Vermont, Leadville and Wasatch front. And, uh, You'd have thought that it would be the one at the end that would be hardest, but it was actually the second one for me where I had the lowest points. And it's uh-huh. because you, you, you're you tired from the first race. It was only three weeks earlier. Um, you're doing another 100-miler, and then it, it was uh, very hot and humid, um, and my body just wasn't responding. So I, I was trying to, to keep moving, and I'm thinking to myself, I've got two more of these races left, and they're in theory harder than this one. Um, and so mentally, that can really drag you down. And you can't let yourself get caught up in what you have left to do, or other challenges, or how bad you're feeling right now. All you can do is just deal with things to get to the next aid station. And so I had to very much kind of micromanage it, and and telling myself, don't even think about the next race, or the one after that. You'll deal with them later. You don't have to deal with it today. Today, you've just got to get the next few miles. You've just got to deal with how you can you keep moving right now. And that was very difficult, because I'm used to the idea of Maybe mile 70 in a 100 miler, it feels very bad and, and you, you know, you know, you've got to just gut it out from that point. But this time it's been maybe mile 30 where I was feeling like that. And the idea of gutting it out for 70 miles instead of 30 miles didn't feel good. Plus, all those negatives are creeping in of, well, if this is how fa- bad it feels on the second race, how bad will it feel on the third race? And so it's very easy to to start just having negative thoughts going through on a loop in your head, which just can demoralize you and and lead to dropping out. So that was probably the the toughest thing I've had to deal with. And and the way I dealt with it was just by saying to myself, I've committed to this summer. I'm going to finish this no matter what. If I have to finish this one minute under the cutoff today, I will finish it. There's no doubt that I'm going to suck it up. And then I'll deal with the rest later. The other races, we'll see how that goes. Don't even think about it. And it's kind of like you just have to give yourself a pep talk sometimes to to, uh, to shut up all the the annoying things you're trying to say to yourself in the negative talk in your head.
0: Yeah, I suppose it is about um, your drive and your determination. I suppose that's what makes elite athletes more, more the defining factor for them. I, I
2: think that's it. All, all athletes. Everyone doing a 100-miler, everyone doing a 50-miler, um, you've got to be able to to just deal with with, with things when they go wrong or when they aren't feeling as good. And that's what determines whether you have a good race. It's not how well you can run it when you're feeling good. It's how can you deal with it when it inevitably has some low points or when the race isn't going so well. Because all, all the best races that all the top runners have ever had still had low points. But the way that it was a good race for them or a classic race that will go down in the ages is how they dealt with that and avoided it from being an issue. Uh, and I think that that's the same someone who's trying to do a just under the cutoffs for a hundred miler has to think just the same way they can't afford to give up they've still got to be able to turn it round and think positively and personally i think that's extremely difficult if if it's a race where i'm out there for 16 hours at western states and i know there's people out there for 30 hours right. having to keep yourself motivated for 30 hours especially as you're going slower i think is even harder so uh, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the the fastest runners are better at it i think it's more just that they they can keep physically pushing a bit harder and get close to their limit, but you've still got to have that same grit just to finish these types of races at all.
0: Yeah. Well, something I, I came across that said um, that completing the ultra marathon is 50% in the mind, and then others say it's 90%. Either way, it's certainly more about your determination than anything else.
2: It, it's the determining factor of whether or not you will finish. Um, you can you can turn up fit and ready, and, that, and everyone's going to turn up reasonably fit for a race. Uh, You can see people who are not very fit finish and people who are very fit not finish. And the difference there is just how they approach the race, their tactics, which is kind of the mental side, you know, what pacing they do, how they're trying to look after themselves, whether they deal with uh, overheating or getting cold immediately or whether they let it go on too long. But yeah, ultimately it's how you deal with the race rather than just how fit you are at the start line.
0: Yeah, so it's more about um, your mind overcoming the obstacles that's going to be in your way, such in the sense of, like, you, you're going to use your mind to um, blank out all the distractions. You become something completely different and focused on the, the race. It's, it's quite unique. Yeah. I, I, believe, um, I believe the mind will give in before the body does. That's
2: what I believe. Oh, always. I, I think that most DNFs are caused by people choosing to give up. Um, I, I think it's, it's quite rare for it to be um, purely a medical issue that means that you couldn't finish. Um it obviously that happens. And you know, that's gonna be let's say ten, twenty percent of, of DNFs. But I think the majority there are people who either think it's going slower or it's feeling harder than they expect and they give up. Or um they convince themselves that some minor little thing is a bigger injury and then the next day they realise it's not.
1: Uh-huh. Ian, do you think um humans are
2: designed to run ultramarathons or do you believe that we're going against our human DNA? Ah, certainly we're designed to run and run long distances. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's no doubt about that. There's things like the book Born to Run, where it goes into a lot of the the kind of research uh, of, you know, how humans evolved and, and uh, you know, the, the what were they called, the um, the hunters who chase down animals anyway, and, and that was uh-huh. kind of how the body evolved. So uh, we're, we're extremely well developed for, for being able to do long distance running and, and being able to cool ourselves and sweat being... A fairly unique thing to, to humans and not many animals have. i um, not, no. not even sure if there are any other animals actually that have that. But um, yeah, I think we're definitely designed to do long runs and, and uniquely because we have the mental uh, side of it coming in there, we can rationalize things, which may be sometimes more of a negative than a positive because we can talk ourselves out of finishing an ultra. But uh, no, I think it's very much in our DNA to, to run long distances.
1: Mm, I think it's always been part of our DNA. Now, an example that I can think of is, like using the grey wolf as an example, the grey wolf will like run miles every single day, like marking its territory and searching for food. But, like, let's say, like a normal domesticated dog, in effect, because it is a grey wolf in a, in a theory, really, dog has just been domesticated and domesticated dogs don't need to run anymore. And I think this could be the same with humans.
2: Yeah, I think it's <clears throat> our modern lifestyle means that we may not have the fitness to do it as much um, in general because from an early age, uh, even from school time, sometimes kids don't have the opportunity to play sports and run around as much. But uh, if that becomes your sedentary lifestyle and you can survive like that and there's no survival of the fittest where you've got to run to eat, then uh, obviously it gets harder. But the natural thing that the body wants to do is, is run and move. That that's
1: yeah, That's what keeps
2: you alive and it's a very important part, I think, of even someone who's got a very cerebral job, it's still important to, to keep yourself fit and healthy. You know it, it, That's a fairly obvious thing to say, but running is certainly part of that, and it's it's what the body naturally wants to do. Yeah, definitely.
0: So Ian, I know you touched on this a little bit earlier, but do you think anyone, um, if they put the mind to it, can run an ultra? Or do you feel that you have to be born with something inside, maybe a gene that pushes your consciousness to
2: test your limits to run an ultra event? I think that in theory, everyone could. The difficulty is, let's say you've got someone who is didn't really do much exercise as a child and then they sat at a desk for 30 years and they allowed themselves to get overweight and, and in, in that kind of situation it's going to be harder because even if they lose the weight and they gradually introduce their running there's still going to be maybe potential issues with uh, muscle imbalances or weak joints that it just takes longer to get past so it's not that it's impossible for them to do it but that uh, it's going to be a lot more hard work than um, if you've been active your entire life. But I would say pretty much anyone is capable of doing it. I've seen people do it who have one or even two prosthetic legs. So you know, wow. it, it, it's amazing what the human body can do. And I think it's it's partly that we convince ourselves that we can't do it. So if you've not been active your whole life, it's much more difficult to believe that this kind of thing's is possible. And it just looks like ultra runners are a crazy bunch of people, or there's something I think superhuman about them, or maybe a bit of both. But um, I think it's just some natural human instincts that we're tapping into there. And that's why I think they're both trail running, road running, uh, the obstacle racing, all of this is very popular at the moment, because it's like we're rebelling against our more sedentary lifestyles. And people are getting a little bit bored of, of not having that active part of their life. And so um, I think that's why they're, they're wanting that release. They, they live in a city, they don't move around as much, and they want to feel alive. And that's what these types of races can can help with Mm.
0: yeah i completely agree that human feats are incredible and it's quite an interesting scenario really because immediately a lot of people will see an ultra marathon and immediately go i can't accomplish that and so they set up this mental block around their physical capabilities straight away but when there's a goal and you have a defining clinical reasons to back it up then how can you say you couldn't it's quite astonishing
2: really Exactly. As with any big challenge in life, it's about breaking it down into smaller steps. So if you're trying to do an ultra marathon, you've got to gradually build up your training and maybe do a 5K, then a a 10K, then a half marathon. And each step, you can then see the next step. You maybe can't see much beyond it, but once you get to the next step, then it suddenly becomes more feasible. And I found this with my running. The the first time that I tried to run 13 miles as a training run, my knees ached, all of my muscles ached, my hips ached. I was just thinking, this is not possible to run longer. How do people do marathons? And then uh, two months later, I did a marathon, uh, because I gradually built up to it. And by completing that, I thought, okay, now I can see, yeah, marathons are feasible, and maybe it's possible to run even longer distances. And it was just by doing it step by step. But when I first ran that, not particularly long distance, it seemed like everything above that was completely impossible. But until you try it, you you don't really realize what the body's capable of. And and that's what's always surprised me. You can always do more. And there's always someone who's doing something more extreme as well. No matter what race you go to and how hardcore you think you are, there'll be someone who's done something 10 times harder, and that's always going to be the way. And then that opens your eyes to what is possible, because you maybe think that you've reached a pinnacle. Let's say you get to 100 miler and think this is the hardest thing possible in the world. And then you meet someone there who did fifty hundred 100 milers in a year, or they ran across the US or, you know, something like that. <laughs> And you realize, okay, yeah, well, there is another step up. And then there's another step up from that. And there's always something bigger and harder and just by seeing other people do it and seeing it just be kind of one notch above you, it allows you to think that you can then do that. But from someone who, who can't run at all and maybe one mile would be insanely hard, it's just a case of building up to it. And, and that is always feasible. Um, and so that's, I think, the thing that people only realize it once they start doing it. But seeing the gap between not running at all and running 100 miles, there's such a gulf that it's difficult for the human mind to get around that. But I think that's the same as, let's say, writing a book. The idea of writing a big book that in itself is a huge thing, but then if you start off with writing one chapter at a time, you see the down. steps that are going to get get you there exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Ian, something else I want to discuss, and I'm going to use an example of CrossFit. Is with like CrossFit in the CrossFit, uh, sorry, with CrossFit, its methodology is like health and longevity, and with the CrossFit games, it's more like audience appeal, if you know what I mean. So with ultrarunning, do you feel that the future of ultrarunning needs to be like a more audience sort of like sex
2: appeal to reach like a more mass audience? It's, that's kind of something that's causing definitely some controversy, I think, within the sport Uh of how much money should affect things and and how big Uh should races try and be. And ultimately, there's a lot of people in there who just like doing the small races, enjoying themselves. They're just out there to run and have fun. And I think that's a key element of the sport, no matter what. I think CrossFit, and and I'd probably include triathlon in in this to some extent, in terms of it being something that people do to say they do it, and not Mm -hmm. necessarily because they're trying to be genuinely fit and healthy or because maybe even they genuinely enjoy it i think there's a lot of people out there who i see doing crossfit and and triathlons who they they don't even necessarily like it but they get very competitive and that's the thing that drives them um i think with running there's going to be an element of that you see it more with road running than than trail running where i definitely know plenty of runners who don't actually like running and i have no idea why they do it and don't just do another sport Um, but they're doing it to to you know be able to say what they're PB is, or to, to beat someone. or And I, I totally get that motivation. Competitiveness is a big motive yeah. for me. But ultimately, I think that particularly long-distance running and um, mountain stuff, you've got to just be in love with it, really, to be able to do it. So because of that, it, it means that the people in it are not going to be as focused. Not that they're not focused on it, but it won't be as big a deal uh, about how much attention the race gets. And is it on national TV and I think in many ways people would prefer it to be like it is now than to get overly commercialized. And, for example, you wouldn't want to have an ultra where you just do a one-mile loop on a BMX course in a stadium. Um, There'd be people who do that, but that's not really the core ultra runners as they are now. Maybe that would make it bigger. I don't think it would because I don't think that would be very interesting, to be honest. You've got to have high-impact big energy stuff for it to be good for tv and ultra running is much more about efficiency and long-term stuff so in like a a five thousand meter race for example you've got surges and you've got moves going on and it only lasts 13 minutes for an ultra someone's surge might last several hours and it's a much more subtle movement and that isn't really as tv friendly so i think it'll move towards there being more coverage more interest in the sport uh, more competitors but I can never see it being some major mainstream TV thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose they are missing the true values of the sport if they were to do that. Exactly. I mean, and For example, because I'm involved with the sky running side of things, they had had uh, conversations with the Olympic Committee about how sky running could be in the Olympics. And ultimately, it would have to switch from what it is, which is running in the mountains and <clears throat> being out there in the beautiful areas that are really exotic and, and hard to reach. And they'd have to basically d- turn it into some kind of loop course on a stadium <laughs> inside, a uh, literally like a BMX course kind of thing. Uh, and even that, you know, n- none of the runners would want to do it who are currently doing sky running. Um, and it, uh, it just wouldn't be very interesting still. So that was the only way that could really fit in. Like if you watch the, the marathon in the Olympics, they do it as loops. So it, it's, it's a really boring course they tend to pick for a marathon route yeah, is. for the runners themselves. But it's much more spectator and TV friendly. And that's that's where I just think uh, typically ultra runners would rather have the epic races, and that's what they're in it for. And th- there's never going to be mega bucks, but there's enough money in it now that there's people making careers out of it. Um, but I can't see it being you know making millionaires or anything like that.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. Something else I want to discuss again is that over and over again we are seeing incredible feats and new records set time and time again. People are saying it's impossible to do a certain thing, then bam, someone does it. So, Ian, what do you feel is the extent of human endurance running? Uh, do you feel that there's a limit to what distance we can run, or do you feel that the only limit is what we place on ourselves?
2: I wouldn't say there's a limit on the distance. That there'll be a limit on the the records at some point, but I think most of them we're probably still able to keep improving them. I mean, a good example would be something like the marathon world record, where there's been such a high level of competition that the improvements are very incremental. It's just a few seconds off the record every few years. Um, With ultra running, I think the level of competition we've seen in the last few years has meant a lot of records have gone down, and I think we'll keep seeing that, but it's not just the physical side of it. So you can get 100 top-level Kenyans turn up to a 100 miler, and probably 99 of them won't have a good race, and maybe that other one will still need three attempts to do it really well. So it's more than just the physical side, but clearly... We haven't reached the limits of, of what times are feasible, even in the most competitive hundred milers or competitive ultras in general. But uh, certain races will be much closer to it because they've had higher levels of competition. So a, a Western States or a UTMB, there's probably less scope to see dramatically faster times than at a, a small local race where no one ever, no one fast has ever really tried it. And then at the top level of the of, uh, of the most competitive stuff, which would be something like comrades. Um, the 55 miler in, in South Africa because on road it's had a lot of very very fast runners do it so again there's probably less scope to take a chunk out of that course record but it'll keep falling I'm sure over the years and, and people will keep getting faster mm-hmm. I can imagine like ultra runners like everything in life
1: really You're always constantly still learning new things really aren't you
2: yeah I've been doing it 10 years and I still almost every race I learn something new or I'm reminded of something that I've forgotten <laughs> and uh, it, it's yeah. always that struggle to get to that perfect race which I think it's almost impossible for anything longer than a marathon. You can get very close to it and you can walk away Mm -hmm. thinking, yeah, that was pretty much everything went right. But there'll still be little areas you could improve slightly, even on a perfect day. So I think that there's there's a lot more scope to get uh, bigger improvements in ultra running than on track racing where it's already been pushed to, to much higher limits, I think, in general. And also, it's much more uniform. And, it, you know, one 5,000-meter race is going to be very similar to another one, while even one Western States is not going to be similar to another Western States because the weather could, could be completely different. I've done it six times, and the, the course and the conditions have been very different because of snow or extreme heat or cold or uh, all these different things that mean you're not doing quite the same thing as previously.
1: Mm-hmm. Ian, what is um is there anything that's like hugely impacted your life or what's the best tip that anyone's ever given you um well,
2: i I'd, I'd say probably that, that thing i mentioned from bruce Fordyce is the one that's had the biggest effect on my racing uh uh-huh. in terms of um life advice um probably just to, to make sure that whatever you do in life it's something you're passionate about uh, and it, it's something that again is fairly obvious but not many people really put the time and effort to, to making sure that what, what they're doing day in, day out is is something they really care about. You know, you're stuck on a career and it's very difficult to get away from that, especially since the higher you get up in a, in a career, that even if it's something you don't really care about, the harder it is to break away because you're giving up more and more money the higher up you've got. So um, I think that was one of the things for me that, that made a big difference was when I realized that the job I was doing, I was working um, as a kind of tax accountant in uh, in San Jose California and I hated it and, uh, and I realized I had to do something related to running because that was the clear area of my life that I was most passionate about and that I had some other skills in that I could hopefully transfer into being able to work towards it so I, I started coaching um, and got some qualifications related to that and that's been the, the best choice I've ever made in my life I mean because that, that's going to keep stay with me Throughout my whole life, my competitive career will only last a certain amount of time, and then I'll be doing races, but I won't have a chance of winning them. Um, so the the coaching just means that I can be a part, part of running for my entire life, and I'm constantly talking to people about it like I am with you guys today. Mm-hmm. It's great, that. That's,
0: yeah, it's fantastic. It's great when you find that passion such as that. Is but that what drives you to keep doing
2: ultra and keep getting better? Really? It, 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 um, oh, definitely, yeah. It, it's, it's to see what's possible. Uh, that's one of the things that is most interesting for me. Um, I'm always an experiment of one trying out different things of within my training within my racing to see what will make it a little bit better and and what I can then hopefully um, transfer with that knowledge to other people as well but um, yeah I mean it's driving you to push yourself that that challenge that is something that is vital to, to human life in general and some people will get it through trying to get the most promotions and the most salary they can get but I kind of went down that route and it it wasn't really for me. So this is mm. definitely the way that I can get that uh, satisfaction out of life of seeing just what I'm capable of. And, and uh, sometimes you, you pull up short, sometimes you, you achieve what you were trying to do. But um, if you don't have some failures in there, then it means you're probably not pushing yourself to your limits. Mm. Ian, what advice would you give to someone who wants to pursue ultra running and how do they start? I would say just gradually build up to it. Don't feel like you've got to jump in and do the longest, hardest race first of all. Um, if you've not done an ultra before, but you've maybe done marathons, then try out a 50k, try out a 30 miler, something that's just a little bit longer. Try, start running more on the trails because most people who are moving into it haven't done as much trail running and they may be coming from a road background. So just, just try new things. See what you like and, and gradually build up. But don't feel like you've got to jump into the really hard stuff immediately. Um, I did my first... 50-miler around 2005, and I did my first 100-miler in 2010. So I felt no rush to move up that distance. And because I took a bit longer, I think I got more enjoyment for the journey along the way rather than just having to do the hardest thing I could immediately just to see if I could. But different people have different motivations. And so, uh, you know, for some people, that is the best way to do it. They just want to push themselves to the limit of what might be possible of whether or not they'll finish a race. Um, but I think it's generally more sensible to, to gradually build up less chance of getting injury that way. You get, uh, a, a, you kind of follow the learning curve more accurately and you learn something from the 50 miler that helps with the hundred K then hundred K helps with the hundred miler, but also it's n- also to not feel like you have to just go longer. Maybe instead you could just try and be as fast as you can, or do the most epic races you can, or use it just as a, a way to, See different parts of the world, so the distance doesn't really matter as much from that. And it's more about picking events that inspire you. Uh, um, I mean, I think the typical progression is that people go longer over time, but uh, that's not the only way to go. And I think the most important thing is whatever you choose to do is to uh, uh, to make sure you're picking races that really sound like they're fun and they're inspiring for you.
1: Mm. That was a great insight, Ian. I'm sure it's a big encouragement to many people as well. So,
0: Ian, to to bring us to an end. I just want to say that you've been such an inspiring cool guest but i was wondering what are your plans for the future and how do you want to be remembered as an ultra runner and coach
2: um that's difficult hopefully i can keep being a coach for a long time at least uh, so when people have forgotten about any ultra running i've done they can hopefully still um know me as a coach so that that would be the aim so in 30 40 years i still want to be part of the sport and someone who's who's in the conversation and and you know is known within the sport as being a coach that would definitely be the way that i'd like to to see it going and that would show that it, that what i'm saying to people is of worth because it uh, it doesn't last if, if you're saying stuff that doesn't work or that uh, that uh, is, isn't really correct but mm-hmm. um i think in terms of my running i just i want to be able to do certain races and have walked away from them knowing that i've given it the best i could ever have got to so there's three in particular comrades western states and Medville. Where I feel like I've had good races there, but I I haven't quite got to what I want to achieve in each of them. So um, I I don't mind as much how other people see it, but I certainly want to to feel like I've done the most I could at each of those races. And if I have that perfect race, I'm probably going to be done with any one of them because uh, it's only down from there, basically.
1: Hmm. Ian, I certainly think that you're one of those athletes who is not necessarily like in quote-unquote mainstreams eyes. But I think in real people's eyes, your accomplishments and your incredible feats of endurance are
2: definitely going to be recognized. Thank you. No, I, I, you know, the the main thing about it is, like I said, it's got to be fun because it's too difficult if you're not enjoying it. And anyone who does it for the fame or the money is going to be very disappointed from both. (laughs) And they're they're probably not going to enjoy it a whole lot either.
0: That's fantastic, Ian. So, Ian, on
2: that note, where can people find you and what are you currently working on? And so the main things that I'm doing are the coaching. So it's shamanultra.com. Um, I do online coaching for people all over the world. Uh, and also um, the U.S. Skyrunner series is the other main thing that I work on. So uh, if you want to do any really hardcore, cool mountain races in the U.S., just look up uh, usskyrunning.com.
1: Ian, thank you so much for being an incredible guest. You've been such a cool guest and would just like to say thank you again.
2: Thanks a lot for having me on. It was great chatting to you.
0: Thank you thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show hope you enjoyed this episode if you enjoyed it please leave us a review on itunes as it really helps the show and don't forget to head over to the show notes at beastified.com hey
1: everyone and check out our weekly challenge set by the guests themselves and also don't forget to check out the bonus questions we ask the guest after the show in the meantime stay healthy